writing a letter to some of the very first Christians, the very first Christians, and he is defending his apostleship, his, his relationship with them, the church. And as he does so, he has us in view as well. And watch, I want you to watch as I read it. Probably the, the, best, the most important thing I'm going to say this morning is these words, this text, but, but watch in particular for the therefores. There are a lot of therefores in this passage. Actually, there are more therefores in this, this little passage in 2 Corinthians per square inch than therefores throughout the rest of the letter. This is a therefore passage. Paul's explaining himself to us, and in doing so, he's explaining for us who we are and what we're commissioned to do as well. This is one of those life-defining passages that you can embrace as you're there for. Paul's apostolic apology for us and who we are and what we're commissioned to do. Would you look with me? I'll read and then I'm going to pray briefly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 beginning with verse 11. If you're reading from the ESV, the translator heading reads, the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 11. Paul writes, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. Verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16. From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The very words of God. Would you join me in a brief prayer, Father? Take these words, big words, big ideas, big thoughts, big truths, 
and with your spirit change our lives. Don't let us leave here as we arrived. Fill me with your spirit that I might serve my, my friends and might please you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about you here and and your life here in El Paso, but in my town, in Orange, California, just south of Hollywood, in my life, just just next to Disney, we can hear the Disney fireworks every night. Uh, There are are at this point now in my life, laid into life here, a few things that still wow me right? That, that wow me, that stop me in my tracks and take my breath away. Maybe it's because everything I want to know is just a Google search away. It ruins dinner conversations. Kids say something and I Google and give them the answer and it just goes on and back and forth like that. Maybe it's because if you notice, this is impressive for me, uh, that the three richest men in the world, the three richest men alive today are having a space race. <laughs> think about this. The, the Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, right? Amazon and that cool English guy, I don't remember his name, for, that owns all the Virgin stuff. All three of them are building spaceships. What a day we live in. Spaceships right now. Three billionaires traveling to outer space. One of them took up Will Shatner, you know, right? Captain Kirk. He took him up to, literally up to space. What else, what else is left to entertain us, to wow us, right? What a day to be alive. The 21st century is full of wonders that should wow us, but instead, instead they become normal and we grow numb, bored, like like our phones and air conditioning, same-day delivery, right? Even billionaires in space. I, I don't have a clue how any of these things work, and yet they're just a regular part of my life. They're in my pocket, on my wrist, and I'm unimpressed, and as the saying goes, to borrow from Disney, ho hum. I remember when getting a new iPhone was exciting. Do you remember that now? Your new phone? My daughter texted me last night, Dad, is this a good deal? iPhone 13, it's on sale, whatever. Ho-hum, just get it, open up the box and move on, right? Flying on an airplane, for me, sipping an Americano, watching a movie on demand on my new iPhone. (laughs) Ho-hum, get out of my way, hurry up. In the church, and in the church, oh, I fear the same goes for so many of the things that are happening all around us as the church that we give ourselves to and we enjoy week in and week out. And in particular this morning, I want to think about the Great Commission, the Great Commission, our mission, God's mission entrusted to us, our assignment as a church of Jesus Christ and I fear sometimes we just say, ho-hum, right? Or, or, or even worse, to borrow from Disney, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go, right? Which, now don't do this right now. This is how Google ruins everything. It wasn't hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. It was, in fact, the seven dwarfs were singing. Look this up later. The opposite, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work, home to work. Or, I'm sorry, home from work we go. Google that later, it'll blow your mind. But for now, for us, when it comes to what we give our lives to, what we give our lives to in this lifetime, namely straight from our text this morning, each and every one of us, God is making his appeal through us. Could it be that as so often the case with so many other things, hi-ho, hi-ho, ho-hum, off to work we go, gotta do a little bit more missional work in our community. And listen, that's what I'm here for this morning. to remind us once more again, to keep it fresh among us, cross of grace, that spectacular, full of wonder assignment 
If you want to be the kind of Christian that has the staying power to sustain you for decades, to live as ambassadors of Christ, to be swept up into God's redemptive purposes in El Paso and into the world, we'll need to do more than just take on the assignment and go to work. We must, listen, for, for God's glory and our own good, we must marvel at this mission. Marvelous. That's what I want to do this morning. I want to marvel at this mission. When we read God is making his appeal through us, our first question shouldn't be when and where. Show me a map. Let's get busy. Instead, it should be questions like why. Why would God be making his appeal at all? At all. This is the marvelous mission of God, not where and when, but that God is making an appeal to sinful men through men and women and children like us. Forgiveness for every sin possible. Why? Salvation for everyone who will receive and believe in the Son, relenting and repenting of our sins, and then joining us in marveling that any of this is happening in the first place. So I want to look at I want to look at this familiar text and just ask look at it from a different direction. Just ask three questions. Listen, here's the first first the three why questions. If you look at verse eleven again with me, number one, why would God persuade? You got you got to think about this. Why why would be God be in the business of persuading anyone? Verse eleven. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, Paul writes, we persuade. Others. Now, if you stop right there, this is an interesting business that the Apostle Paul is conducting. For on one hand, he is in no way communicating that he is attempting to impress the Corinthians or to sell them on something, like it's a marketing or a slick presentation or an innovative argument. No, no, quite the opposite. Paul has been saying that's why this text is here in this place. He is, he is contrasting himself with those who would do that those so-called potentially super apostles, which the Corinthians had been attracted to in the first place. That's why he continues. If you look, middle of verse 11, he writes, but we, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Not your expectations, not meeting your standards, but internally, spiritually, discerningly, in your hearts, he's hoping, this is why he's writing, that the power of God at work through the plain preaching of Christ and Christ crucified is being authenticated. Authenticated. Verse 12, look again. We're not commending ourselves. He's persuading, but he's not commending himself. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. Boast about us. Think about more like boast about the work of God in and through Paul and his partners, his associates, in spite of Paul and his associates. The Corinthians, Paul is saying, if they were honest, would admit, we hope so, as he explained in the last chapter, chapter four, but we're just treasures in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's what Paul's saying, not to us. Or I love how one scholar translates this verse. We have been made a theater show. For the whole world. We have become a theater show for the whole world. Verse 12 again. We're not commending ourselves to you again. 
verse 12, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. We look to be out of our mind. We're, it's for the Lord. But if we're in our right mind, if that's how you perceive us, it's for you. Paul is persuading. But in his persuading, he is trusting, not in his power of persuasion, but in the Lord's, which begs the question now. If God is able to save, and he is, and you, and you catch this in, the, in that little phrase, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing that the God is sovereign and does whatever God pleases and this surely extends to his mission to ransom people of every nation for his son and his good pleasure. If this is the case, and it is, then why is he persuading anyone when he could simply decree? This is, this is the greater glory. This is, the, this is what causes marveling. He creates us, we reject him. And he doesn't simply just like flip the board over and shuffle the deck and try again and reset. He sets out then to ransom us and to win us, right? And you're in the book of Revelation right now, it's all over the place. To win us like a, a bridegroom woos his bride. All of his powers engaging all of us, head, heart, and soul. I love how uh, this one author, Richard Phillips, he says it when he writes, the irresistible persuasion glorifies the entire Trinity by, by proving how intimately involved God is in every conversion. It reminds us, he writes, that when we speak about God's grace, we do not mean that God sits afar decreeing, but rather, listen, God places his holy hands on our filthy hearts. God places his holy hands on our filthy hearts with more personal contact than any surgeon uses in operating on our bodies. He writes, God is intimately involved in the saving of our souls. Listen, what he writes here. How sublime beyond words. That's how sublime beyond words it is to realize that the transcendent, majestic God takes such a personal interest in every sinner who comes to faith in Christ. Far from being a nameless number in a vast crowd, every believer has been personally ministered to, persuaded by God's overwhelming grace. Truly, he is to us, he writes, as a father to his dear children and a shepherd to his beloved flock. There it is. Truly, he is to us a father to his dear children and as a shepherd to his beloved flock. Christian name for God, father, right? He could just drop the hammer, couldn't he? He could just drop the hammer and then decree that some would receive grace and be pardoned. But no. He woos us. He woos us. Have you ever considered this? Why would God persuade us when he is sovereign? It's because. It's because that tension between his sovereignty and our responsibility and that interplay that, that, that demonstrates our dignity but reveals his glory. 
I don't, I don't know about you, for, for me, it feels, it feels so often like it was my decision. I was presented some information, I did some calculations, and I'm, I'm, I had a conclusion, and it became my salvation story. It feels sometimes like in my conversion where it was a Halloween event and the guy came out of a coffin, literally came out of a coffin, scared all the teenagers, I was 17, and then the lights went up and he was dressed as a corpse and he preached the gospel and I was melted into a puddle of tears and my wife, who was another teenager sitting next to me, was just staring at me like, what's going on? And I gave my life to Christ. It was just a convincing speech and presentation. (laughs) Keep me humble. But no, not in the end. Not in the end. He wooed me. He engaged not just my head, but my heart. Listen, that's our commission. That's that's our calling. We persuade. That's what Paul's saying. We are, that's our calling commission. Every one of us, because it is in us as his instruments that he persuades and conquers for his greater glory. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the Great Commission. We're talking what a marvelous design through us. He woos the world. But number two, second question, second question. Why would God love? He's persuading, we read, because he loves. Why, Why would God love? Look with me again, verse 14 and following. Paul writes, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one, is, one has died for all, there all have died, but he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. No, now notice, please notice, Paul's explanation for why he is being poured out like a drink offering, doing all this persuading, why he does what he does, why he lives like he lives, is not located in the object of his intended hearers, those that he is trying to persuade. It doesn't say, for the love of the Corinthians controls us. Or in my neck of the words, for the love of Californians controls us as much as I love Californians and by the grace of God am enduring endless summers of cool breezes and palm trees. And <laughs> He doesn't say to you, cross of grace, for the love of El Paso controls you. This is way better. Listen, marvel at the mission. It's not even that Paul loves Jesus so much that he's willing to give his life to persuade others to follow Christ. It's not even that he loves Jesus so much. It's that God loved us. Why would he love? Why would he love? Because it's who God is. It's who God is. As this another author, Michael Reeves, in an excellent book, Delighting in the Trinity. He states comparing God with all the other gods, and you may be familiar if you've been out there, did all the religions of the world, all these other religions, he's comparing them in his book, and he's saying, what makes this God different than all the other gods? And here's what he says. He says, here is a God, our God, who is not essentially lonely. He's not essentially lonely, but who has been loving for all eternity. 
as the Father has loved the Son in the Spirit. Loving others is not strange or a novel thing for this God at all. It's at the root of who he is in the first place. How marvelous is our mission. These are the kind of things that will fuel a lifetime of evangelism and church planning and parenting, right? Small groups, community groups, being present in the lives of your neighbors here in El Paso that don't respect you for your faith but are perishing nevertheless. Consider that he loves, that God is love, not because El Paso or you or your pastor Ricky is lovely, though he is lovely. He's, he's my only pastor friend that wears sweaters. <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> but Listen, he loves not because we're lovely, but even while we were still enemies, our Savior considered his saving us his delight, his joy. As the writer of Hebrews exhorts, you don't have to turn there. Let us run with endurance. We're talking about our mission. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There's, there's a commission, commissioning statement. It's everywhere in your Bibles because that's what the Bible is, a commissioning statement. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why? Because he loves us. Verse 14, if you look again, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one died for all. Therefore all have died. And he died for all that, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let me suggest, listen, let me suggest that, that right here might be the missing factor, the X factor, the, the special sauce, right? In the life of a believer that, it, that finds it hard to make everyday decisions to be a persuasion for the lost. You find it hard to make your everyday decisions in such a way that you're moving in the direction of the lost. One, another author puts it, the root cause of our lack of engagement in God's mission is not a missions problem, but a gospel problem. The, the, the root cause of our lack of engagement in God's mission is not a missions problem, but a gospel problem. We demonstrate by our inaction, if that's you, that's me often, by our inaction that we no longer marvel at grace. We're, we are unaffected by the beauty of what God has done for us in Christ. Not the mission that he has called us to, but what he has done that sets the mission in progress. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Wanna, you want to be a pastor? <laughs> you want to you be a church planner? You want to be a deacon? You, you want to be an evangelist or a parent or a husband or a wife or someone who, anyone who loves lost people, who loves their neighbors in relative obscurity. You're not going to be famous, not going to make you famous or rich. <laughs> With, with no fanfare, 
Fill up on the mystery so long hidden but now revealed that God the Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect his, uh, harmony from all eternity has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ and agreed with the Father to enter our dark world. Live for us, die for us, be raised for us, ascended now, reigning for us. His love demonstrated for us to save us and redeem us and reconcile us and invite us into his world. This is Jonathan Edwards, this is what Jonathan Edwards writes about this. He says, there where he is, when we think about who he is and where he is, there is in heaven a, this fountain of love. Have you ever heard this? A fountain of love, this eternal, he writes, three in one set open without any obstacle to hinder access to it. That's what happens here. That's what's going on in heaven. There, he says, there in heaven, this glorious God is manifested and shines forth in full glory and beams of love. There, the fountain overflows in streams and rivers of love and delight enough for all to drink it. He writes, and to swim in it. Yea, so as to overflow the world as it were a deluge of love. How, how can we do this? If we steep our souls in this reality, how, how could we not engage in his great mission? That's, what, that's why Paul writes, verse 16, if you look, the way he sees the whole world has changed. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we know, regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ According to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, he writes, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's born again. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. He's talking about resurrection power. He's talking about dead men walking. I, I love this old obscure hymn. Uh, maybe someone here knows it. You sing along with me. I won't sing, but I'm going to read the lyrics. It's become somewhat of a motto for me, particularly through the pandemic. Just this crazy world we're living in right now. When I lose hope, when I'm struggling, I need to set my bearings straight. Here's what this old hymn. It says, I know that my Redeemer lives what comfort this sweet sentence gives. Uh, stop right there and say, I know that my Redeemer lives what a comfort this sweet sentence gives. goes on. He lives to bless me with his love. He lives to plead my cause above. He lives to crush the fiends of hell. He lives and doth within me dwell. And here comes the chorus, my favorite part. Shout on, he, the, the hymn goes. Can you imagine the church? Shout on, pray on. We're gaining ground. They talk about mission. And then he says, the dead's alive and the lost are found. Glory, Hallelujah. So if you lost the plot, there it is. This is how we see the world. God's persuading because he loves. Verse 18, Paul writes, and all of this, the dead's alive and the lost are found. All of this is from God. Not Paul, not you, not your power. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So the chief and final answered every question, especially when it comes to how he loves us in the first place, that by his loving we would love him and enjoy him on earth and heaven for his greater glory. That's fuel for the furnace that warms up a local church like Cross of Grace that wants to reach her beloved city of El Paso for another 40, 50 years. He loves. 
But last question. Last question. Last why question. Why? Why would he persuade? Why, why does he love? Would you read this text and you have to ask, why, why us? Why, why does he send us? And you got to be real here. And if you're not asking this question, let me, let me sober you up. Why you? Why me? Why the church? Why employ us now in his persuasion and his loving of others? What does my changed life have to do with anyone else's potentialed potentially, eternally changed life. We read again, starting in verse 18, all this is from God. I'm not part of the equation here. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And here's just marvelous. And then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us, verse 19. That is Christ, in Christ God was reconciled the world to himself. We're not in the picture, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, therefore, we are ambassadors of, for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Why? Why, <laughs> Why not? None of it meets my expectations. Why is he making persuasions when he could just decree? It's just marvelous. This is what he does. Why, why does he love anyone in the first place? I don't know. It's marvelous. Why us? Why not? Why not? All this is from him. After abolishing the, the condemnation that, that, that would have justly incurred eternal torture for you and I, he then turns around like freed slaves and offers you, he offers us in our ransomed lives, this is his intention, as a showcase, a theater show. That's what's going on here. This is a theater show of what he does and what he can do for the whole world to see. We, the church, are his persuasion. You're his persuasion. We are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. Marvel at the marvelous mechanics of God's marvelous mission. You see, listen, whether we recognize or not, whether you recognize it or not, your lives are always persuasive. One way or the other, you're doing a lot of persuading with your life. You can't get away, away from it. The question is what the conclusion to someone who watches your life and is persuaded by your life, what you're leading them to. What conclusions are being drawn by your friends and your neighbors as they watch you across the street, go to work, come home, kids playing in the yard, friends over, small groups, no longer really small groups, but more like medium-sized groups that are like, you know, housing code, building code violations. That's what happens in our, we need sprinklers in our houses, whatever it is, <laughs> PA systems. We're, what, what, what are our neighbors concluding from all this? Hey, listen, oh, one, one, more, one more of my favorite authors, Charles Hodge, he's going to describe what it is to be an ambassador. He says, an ambassador is at once a messenger and a representative. A messenger and a representative. He does not speak his own name. 
He does not speak of his own authority. What he communicates, what we communicate, is not his opinions or demands, but simply what he has been told or commissioned to say. The ambassador's message derives no part of its importance from the trustworthiness of the ambassador himself. At the same time, he is more than a mere messenger. He represents his sovereign. He speaks with authority. He as accredited by the master himself. That's who you are. You're, a, you're both messenger and representative to a lost and dying world. Listen, people are starving for what you believe. People are starving for what you're experiencing. People are starving for all. To be wooed, to be woken up from their ho-hum, hi-ho, hi-ho lives. Most don't know it. Most seem quite happy to get the new iPhone or whatever it is that would wow them. They think they're starving for success or money or excitement or acceptance, you name it. But listen, what they truly are hungry for is what God is trying to persuade them of because he loves them through you. Listen, you're not ultimately a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad. You're not ultimately single or married or divorced. You're not defined by how your looks or your clothing or what you do for a living or how much you make or by where you live, by who you cheer for. And I won't bring up any sports teams since I'm in Texas. Um, I'm from Los Angeles where we have many football teams. Uh, look your, your, your identity, you're not defined by your past. You're not defined by what you're ad, or were addicted to. Your bank account, your genetic makeup. You're not what your boss at work says you are. You're not what your parents and teachers might tell you that you are based, your future his potential is based upon your grades. No, you are Christ's. Christ in you. He has superseded your identity. You are now found in him. He is your identity. And you represent him. And you both are like a theater show preaching the gospel but you, by your lives, by your lives are on authority, on authority, demonstrating what is possible. We must marvel at this mission. The dead are alive and the lost are found. He's loved us and won us and doesn't stop with us and that's why this morning, like every morning, I'm sure here, and if you met someone who brought you here, and maybe it's your parents that made you come here for the hundredth time, whatever it is, over and over and over again with the way we spend our money and our time and the way we think and talk, the way we relate with one another, we are imploring you. 
As Paul writes, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Look around the room. This is what it looks like to be reconciled to God. Apparently, we're not finished. We're not fully cooked yet. We still got problems. We're still messed up, broken people. But look around. You see someone with hope in an impossible circumstance. We implore you, be reconciled to God. You got a broken family and you're chasing after your children and they're not coming home and you don't know where they are and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills next month. We don't have answers for all that. But look at us facing the same circumstances. And here loudly and clearly, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Listen, why? Because for your sake, the Father made the Son, him, to be sin who knew no sin. He took on your sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, we see you potentially the way we see ourselves all of our sins taken off of our shoulders and placed on him. Representing us. Paying for our sins. That blotting away our transgressions. That somehow mysteriously you can look around in this dark world and say, there surely is a God. For look at, look at his righteousness shining through these broken people. My neighbors my family, my friends. Keep on preaching the gospel cross of grace. It gives me so much joy to know you're here in El Paso as Christ's ambassadors. We, can I pray for you? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for working in all of us and not just dropping the hammer on us, but instead wooing us that we that we might be reconciled to you, that we might have you. And in turn, Lord, we gladly represent you as your ambassadors here. In, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.